welcome back to ruining your childhood after a brief hiatus uh due to some you know medical emergencies everything's good but we are back we are gonna talk about talk everlasting today talk everlasting uh i have been bated breath waiting to do this episode because i was initially so unenthused about it i I was looking for something to do for Valentine's Day, and I literally just Googled children's love stories. That's, pay close attention, I Googled children's love stories, and this was one of, this was the top of, like, every list. And I had never read it, I had never watched the movie, and I was like, you know, it's a it's a kid's love story. I'll see what it what's up with it, but I wasn't excited. I was like, it seems like it's kind of boring. Like, the synopsis does not make me enthused. And then I dug in, and uh, first of all, this is not a love story. Number one. Number one, it's not a love story at all. And if you're classifying it as a love story, you're a part of the fucking problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so... Give me your take from Tuck Everlasting, what you know of it so far. I watched Tuck, or I read Tuck Everlasting in seventh grade for a class, for like my English class, and then we watched the movie in class. And so, I, so I've seen them both, and then I actually watched, rewatched the movie last summer, and it was, yeah, weird vibes, but uh, <laughs> I do remember that in the scene where they're like kind of somewhat skinny dipping together we were everyone in my seventh grade class was like (laughs) (laughs) yeah um (laughs) oh well yeah i had never i never seen either and apparently this is a really popular book to read in class because i sort of did like a survey of people i talked to on a regular basis and almost everyone said that they read it in school i guess my middle school was just on some sort of different curriculum but I don't even think I heard about it other than I knew the movie existed because it's part of the Alexis Bledel canon but other than that I didn't even know like what the story was about are you saying that Tuck Everlasting and Gilmore Girls are in the same universe yeah I'm definitely saying that that Rory (laughs) Gormore Rory Gormore Rory Gormore was just cosplaying as the the lead character I'm, I, this is a fantasy, I think, that Rory Gilmore had in her head, if I'm being honest. Uh, it's the only wow. thing that makes sense. This is this is a galaxy brain <laughs> headcanon here. Um, okay, so Tuck Everlasting, the novel, came out in 1975, and it's a book by Natalie Babbitt. And people love her. And she did die in 2016, so... Um, respect to her legacy but i'm about to say bad things <laughs> uh, she does genuinely seem like she was a very nice person she was like very um humble about her sort of legacy as an author she was like you know i'm not really curing cancer over here i'm just writing books for kids but but she was very humble and seemed like in all accounts to be really nice and like a, a sort of lovely person but i I just don't care for the writing style of Tuck Everlasting. It's very heavy on details that I think are really, she's really, really good at setting a scene, but I think she gets too caught up in setting a scene and sort of forgets that a story should be in there somewhere. So I think the end result is kind of uh, boring. So she's like really good at describing yeah, she's, this is my same issue. I mean, maybe I'm just not literary enough. Maybe I'm I'm not the intended audience, but this is the same reason I don't like F. Scott Fitzgerald, who she gets compared to frequently, because they're very good at painting very elaborate scenes and like, you know, like letting you visualize exactly what's happening, but not putting a lot of action or moving the plot forward very much there was like a 15 minute segment where she described she had a character describe the water cycle and (laughs) like while that was happening i was like is this a science textbook because she just does go really in depth like the character is trying to explain human mortality but he talks about the water cycle for a long time and i 
if I'm losing attention, like if my attention span is not good enough for this as an adult, I feel like for a lot of kids, this would probably be very boring. <laughs> yeah. But this is like one of the quintessential American novels. And I think it is really popular with the uh, school curriculum. For what reason? Uh, I, I would assume that the number one reason is because it probably leads into good writing assignments. Uh, (laughs) question more immortality (laughs) questioning immortality is a really good writing assignment for kids I think I think it's a a cool thing to think about you can probably get some really good essays from kids about that topic but is there another way we could get into that other than having every high school middle school student reading Tuck Everlasting probably there's gotta be other immortality focused books out there Well, it's funny that you should mention that because I would like to uh, propose the idea that there's a very similar immortality book that gets shit on by almost everyone. Do you know? Twilight. Twilight. This is literally Twilight. It's like Twilight. Like this, the whole time I was reading it, I was like, is this Twilight? Um, So let me, let me give you the similarities. Okay. So Jesse. Should I go over the plot of this? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Maybe just, just a, yeah. a little skim. Okay. okay, we'll we'll go to the plot and then I'll get into exactly why I think this is Twilight. But so Winnie Foster is a sheltered only child who has a very rich, very mannerly existence. She's uh somewhat sheltered by her mom and grandmother. Uh, she does have a father, by the way, but she does not blame her father at all for her misery. She puts the blame solely on her very strict grandmother and mother. And I sort of thought that was a little bit messed up, just in its own. That, like... They probably (laughs) don't make the rules. Well, yeah, it's like, if your father is absent, is he any less to blame for your strict upbringing? Uh, yeah. I don't know, it just seemed kind of like... Uh, like Miss Babbitt was really shitting on moms and grandmas. <laughs> but so uh, Winnie Foster is growing up in 1880 Tree Gap, New Hampshire. She's the wealthiest kid in town and she's feeling miserable about her life, which is a trope that I absolutely loathe. Um, sad rich kids is not a story I like listening to uh, no. generally. Not as compelling. And it's 1880. Do you think there are some more compelling stories happening in 1880? (laughs) Do you think anybody else has... Here's little Winnie Foster complaining about, my mom and grandma are too strict. Meanwhile, there's a bunch of kids working in fucking factories. Winnie, who are your age. (laughs) I thought thought for a minute you were mentioning slavery. Well, and also... 1880 and 1860 mixed up. And also, like... (laughs) Living as a black a black ten year old in eighteen eighty is also I would imagine not a great experience. So there are a lot of other perspectives that we could have gotten other than sheltered, sad Winnie Foster. I was just yeah, yeah. That's actually like a this is a brief side tangent, but um, the show on uh, Apple TV, the Dickinson show they kind of like explore that a little bit and I found it fascinating where like she feels very trapped even though she's really rich she feels trapped as a um I'm gonna say wealthy white woman though the actress that plays her isn't white obviously Emily Dickinson in real life was white they explore that a little bit where like there is this black man in the show that like I think works for her father it's been a while since I've seen it and of course they're in Massachusetts and they have this conversation where he he's just sort of like or I forget how it even, even comes up, but it's like, you think your life is horrible, but, you know, it, it's kind of like the, this black man is like, well, also, uh, you know, I maybe have more freedoms in a sense than you as, like, a man, but then also less freedoms as, a, like, it's a interesting conversation that they had in that show that made Emily Dickinson in the show be like, huh made her uh, question her privilege yes there there was like a quote that i read and i'm gonna like butcher it but it was essentially the thought was only wealthy white women had a chance to think about how miserable they were that like 
Yeah. The women of color and women living in poverty at this time were so damn busy, they didn't have time to worry about their emotions. Like they they didn't have the time or privilege to check in on themselves at all. It was just like survival mode. So Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. So the story of Winnie Foster, I understand why it was popular in 1975, but I feel like it's not as necessary or relevant at all today. So if you're a middle school teacher and you listen to this podcast, bring in something different. Like if your students want to read Tuck Everlasting on their own, by all means, but this isn't like standard curriculum, I don't think. Are you suggesting that uh, seventh grade teachers have their students read Twilight? I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that you talk about um, unions with your your middle schoolers. (laughs) Could you find me like a book about like the Newsies maybe? Uh, You know, that movie. Let's talk about labor rights with 10 year olds or middle schoolers. (laughs) Lots lots of options there. Stories Uh, with better morals than... uh, What's yeah. it like to live forever? Or someone write a book that has that same kind of question, but then like uh, uh, not not uh, d- delivered in this vehicle. Yeah, show me Winnie Foster's um, classmate who lives in poverty and has to drop out of school and go to work at age 11 and make them live forever and tell me how they feel about immature immortality. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, like... It's it's just I think you can bring up just the question of like immortality. Maybe thirteen going on thirty even is a better representation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like anything, anything is better than Tuck Everlasting. I I'm really shitting on this. Sorry to the memory of Natalie Babbitt. I just think that this this book is past its prime. Uh, I think it is useful because I I do think that um, Tuck Everlasting was maybe if not the first, then an early example for me of why living forever isn't necessarily a great thing. Um, Because that's not really something like you think about too much as a kid of like how it would be exhausting and terrible and like heartbreaking to live forever when like other people die. And then how like, you know, I I think uh, that's, that's a useful conversation to have, but I think um, there's the, uh, the everything else about talk everlasting uh, makes it, in need of an update. Right. Okay, so 10-year-old... 10. Let's let's stress. Uh, Is she 10 in the book? In the book, she's 10. Oh. Five twice. 10. Uh, she's a very small child in the book. In the book, she's a small, very small child. Um, so she's 10, and she's rich and hates her life, and... One day she runs away to the forest that her family owns. This is very specific that her family owns the the woods because you know they're the richest people in town and they have a lot of land. So yeah, and they're very stingy about their land and like they very much do not let anyone on their property because eh, I don't know. I guess they're worried about revolution. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know why they're so like tricky about letting people into their woods, but they're they are. And so she runs away into the woods that her family owns. Like, oh, okay, Winnie, you're running into the woods. What did you think you were gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what did Winnie Foster think was gonna happen to her? She's never been outside the house, and suddenly she's gonna live in the woods by herself. Come on. Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. This is why you should listen to your parents and not run away. (laughs) Um, But so she runs into the forest and she meets uh, Jesse Tuck. And Jesse Tuck is drinking from a spring that's underneath of a tree that has a, a big T carved on it. And so... She's like, hey, what are you doing here? This is my family's wood. You have to get out of here. Like, my father owns this. Uh, <laughs> my father, the inventor of toaster strudel. My father, the inventor of toaster strudel, owns this whole wood. So I'm going to need you to get your poor ass out of here, essentially. <laughs> so uh, the book really, like, sets this up as, like, 
wow, this is such a big coincidence. Like sometimes huge coincidences just happen. And this is one of those times, like they take special care to point that out. Like, Hey, isn't this really wild that this is all happening at once? Yes, it is. Um, so the Tuck family meets up with each other every 10 years because they are all immortal. And, uh, it just so happens to be the day that Winnie Foster runs into the woods that Jesse Tuck is meeting up with his mom and brother and dad. So she's like, uh, can I get a drink of that cool water you're drinking there, hot boy? Because she also, like, we're given insight into Winnie's thoughts here, and her whole thoughts are, damn, shoddy, what up with that body? That's, <laughs> that's her. She's just like, he's so hot. Um, he's 17, Winnie. He's an old fucking man compared to you. And um, also, like, physically he's 17. Yeah, he's physically 17, but he was like, no, you can't drink out of this this water. It's poison. <laughs> She's like, well, you were just drinking out of it, so, like, I'm going to drink this water. And his mom comes along, and they say, hey, to keep her from drinking out of this fountain, the thing we're going to do is kidnap a child. Um, <laughs> uh, really good solution. So they mm-hmm. kidnap her on a horse, um, and a creepy man in a yellow suit who has been hanging around Winnie's house happens to see the Tucks kidnap her, and he follows them. And he's just a man in a yellow suit who had like a really weird interaction with Winnie the night before. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember him from the movie. <laughs> yes. In the movie, he's played by Ben Kingsley. And I was, like, way too good of an actor for this role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's really good in it. Um, But, uh, so, yeah, they kidnap her and take her back to their, like, secret hideout farm. Which, I don't know how they're keeping this whole farm a secret if they live in, like, a small town where it's obviously pretty easy to get to it. Yeah. But uh but so they go to their farm and Winnie meets um uh, Miles, which is Jesse's older brother. I think he's like 22 or something. And uh the dad, who everyone calls Tuck, literally no one calls the mom and dad, mom and dad. They're just like May and Tuck, which is their Yeah, like it's hard. they've outgrown mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, I guess when you're when you're an immortal being saying mom and dad gets old to you, which I don't know if I'm immortal, I'll probably would still be like mom. Mom. I'd be like, mommy, I'm so tired of living forever. <laughs> uh, but um so yeah, so they take her back to the farm and they try to explain to her why it's so important that no one drinks from the immortal fountain and that they're all really old. Jesse is 104. It never mentions explicitly how old the parents are. I don't know how old they were when they drank from the fountain, but given the fact that their kids are 17 and 20, I would assume that they are like 40s, like early 40s yeah. probably given the time period. So, um, but everyone is super old now and they've lived for 80 years or something like that as immortal beings. And they give the backstory of Miles actually married a woman and had two children with her who had never drank from the immortal fountain. So the wife and children got really suspicious when nobody in the family was aging and his wife ran away with the kids Mm. because he thought that the Tucks, she thought that the Tucks had all sold their souls to the devil. I mean, maybe they did. Maybe. I mean, is that what the fountain is? Who knows? Uh, But, uh... (laughs) But so after they explain like how sad they are to live forever, Pa Tuck takes her out on a rowboat and explains the water cycle and how they're stuck. He like equates the water cycle to like human mortality that, you know, from the earth you come to whence you shall return, you know, that whole deal. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be passing on and moving on to the next phase of our existence, but we're stuck here and we wish that we could die. That's, you know, a really cool thing to say to a, a child. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a really heavy subject for a 10-year-old. I crave death. I crave death. He was like, I'd trade it all if I could just die. If I could die tomorrow, I would do it in a heartbeat. I think is an almost direct quote. 
So, um, so they like try to impart on Winnie how important it is that she doesn't drink from the fountain and that no one she knows that she doesn't tell anyone and that she doesn't let anybody drink out of it. So in the meantime, the man in the yellow suit has been watching this all. Um, he steals their horse and rides back to town to tell the town constable he knows where missing Winnie Foster is. Narc. And yeah, yeah, he's honestly, the man in the yellow suit is like objectively horrible. He's very creepy and also uh, is narking, but not for good reasons because he yeah. just wants to take the water from the fountain and sell it to the highest bidder. Mm. So the Tucks, you know, are hanging out with Winnie. The man in the yellow suit tells the town constable who is like, Ugh, do I really have to care about this? Like, there's just a missing kid. He really is very hesitant to get involved with this at all. And <laughs> honestly, if the richest girl in town goes missing, I feel like every police officer would be on attention. But this guy's like, Meh. All right, you go ahead and ride and try to save that girl and I'll be behind you. So the man in the yellow suit makes it back to their farm. And in, well, okay, in the meantime, Winnie spends the night there. And while she is spending the night there, all of the tucks just tell her how much they like love her because they're all just so happy to be around a person that isn't them that they're yeah. like, wow a living regular person we've missed this so much like we love human interaction so so they like this really, is a lot of people during the pandemic where it's like yes. someone else like joins their quarantine <laughs> bubble they're like finally a human. uh yeah and then and then when they inevitably leave it goes back to like oh more nothingness uh yeah uh but oh, so dead yeah. inside again dead inside again but so uh, the Tucks are all just like, we're so happy to have you here, Winnie. Like, A, don't tell on us. B, thanks for coming. Like, we're not going to hurt you, even though we did kidnap you away from your family. Um, this isn't what it looks like. This is it. I know it seems really predatory and weird that we're doing this, but we're cool. Uh, <laughs> but so after everyone, so she's asleep on a couch and basically everyone in the family individually comes out to like be like, you're so cool, Winnie. Just, you're <laughs> awesome. But when Jesse Tuck comes out, he's like, hey, Winnie, you know what I've been thinking? Um, I'm 17, and when you turn 17, you need to drink from the fountain and then come find me, and we can be together for all eternity. That's uh, a big commitment. Um, also, she's 10. He's 104. Um, not good not good yeah I hated that he was and throughout the whole book he tries to like impress her at several points he's like showing off and like when he goes swimming he's like showing off for her and like trying to impress her and like like doing doing weird things just just being very all around weird and uh predatory so after she says that, you know, she's like kind of like excited thinking about it. She's like, wow, maybe I will. Um, but so the next day, the man in the yellow suit makes it back before the police officer, because this police guy does not give one single shit about this missing girl <laughs> who he knows for a fact now is kidnapped by a bunch of weirdos who live in the woods by themselves. <laughs> he's like, oh, I guess I'll he's go. Like, he's like, well, I guess I'll come. Um, and he just lets this creepy guy in a yellow suit who he's never met go off to like rescue the child, which it's like, uh, why do you trust this guy? He's the least trustworthy person in the whole entire book. And you're just like, yeah, I guess you go find the kidnappers guy uh, who has no name. He's never named. Like, he's just a random guy in town. Uh, oh, it says here your name is a uh, man in yellow suit. <laughs> yeah, you seem pretty reasonable and reliable. The fact that you aren't from around here, you know this girl is kidnapped. And are you sure you're not financially involved with this? Like, what's your deal, guy? Like, um, are you sure you didn't kidnap <laughs> It's like, this police officer, if he cared at all, would be like, okay, Winnie Foster's straight up dead and this guy murdered her. <laughs> uh, but so the man in the yellow suit shows up 
and is like, hey, I know your secret. I'm taking Winnie Foster. I'm going to the fountain. Uh, I Oh, another shitty thing that the man in the yellow suit does is he goes to Winnie Foster's parents and he's like, you have to give me the lease to the woods and I'll tell you where your daughter is. So Predatory. he like, yeah, he like, uh, it's not blackmail. What is it? Exploitation. But he extortion, he, extortion. That's it. Extortion. He extorts her family into giving him all of their property. So, yeah, I don't understand why the police officer wasn't a little more uh, investigative of this guy. Yeah, um, he seems like pure trash. But um. So he goes back. He's like, yeah, I own these woods now. I'm going to bottle that water. I'm going to sell it to the highest bidder. And then there's going to be immortality for everyone. Immortality for all. And uh, a nightmare for all slash just rich people. Um, but yeah. So he he threatens the Tux and the Tux are like, you don't understand what this is. You can't understand how much of a curse this is until you're actually in it. Like. It's um, it's impossible for you to fa- fathom right now, but mm-hmm. the second that you have it, you're going to wish that you did it. And, you know, so Ma Tuck hits him in the back of the head with a gun and kills him. Kills him. <laughs> um, and, of course, the do-nothing cop shows up exactly for this moment to witness Ma Tuck straight up murk somebody. So they take her to jail and they're like, we're going to hang her tomorrow. It is what it is. I witnessed the murder. She's dead. But uh, the thing is, Matuk can't die because she is uh, immortal. So the whole family and Winnie know that if she goes to the gallows, that it's going to really blow up their spot for the whole town. And they can't have that happen because then everybody will want to be immortal. So they work out a plan and Winnie helps break her out of jail Mm -hmm. and so it flash forwards to like the 1950s and the May Tuck and Tuck the dad come back to uh, Tree Gap to see if Winnie's there and they find her tombstone so she did Ah. not she did not drink from the fountain she died she's dead Uh, and they're like wow good for you Winnie we're so proud of you for making that choice but yeah. we feel but they're but they go on to say like we feel really bad for Jesse because he's gonna be alone for his whole immortal life. Oops. Uh, yeah. Um yeah, that's 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 rough. Um <laughs> that's rough, buddy. Uh, uh yeah, it and not only is it rough, it was just exhausting and boring. Um <laughs> like the content's not what I like to read and it's also just not written in a way that I like to read so I was just like wow this is If I were in 7th grade I'd be really pissed about having to read this. Um Yeah. And I like to read in 7th grade and 7th grade was like the height of my reading abilities so uh <laughs> so I would have really been like bummer. But so yeah, that's it's the big wow, immortality is horrible and uh, you shouldn't want to be immortal. Um, Immediately it makes more sense with a teenager. Yes. In Winnie's role. Thank God that they aged up Winnie for the movie. That's yeah. the best That's the best possible change. I honestly don't hate the, the movie. I think the movie course corrects a lot in terms of they don't make it weird. Like uh, mm-hmm. Jesse is 17, but Winnie is 15. So it's like a two-year physical age difference it is still like an 85 year old mental age difference and i don't i don't know how that works out i think you always run into this sort of problem because all of these books are written about the the protagonist is a minor like teenage girl always yeah and it's like how do we feel about and then if she were an adult he's physically a 17 year old isn't that a little weird yeah exactly it's like i i I don't know what would be appropriate yeah because the the issue with edward and bella is that edward is 17 forever and bella does turn 18 i think so illegal yeah so she's technically an illegal i I mean is there anything in the fine print of those laws about vampires and people who drink from immortal wells? <laughs> Excuse me, Congress. I'd like for you to attach an addendum to the uh, age of consent laws that um, factor in 
immortal beings. Yes. Uh, Witches, vampires. Um, all uh, very if, important. If zombies are capable of love, then zombies probably. <laughs> yes. According to the, the documentary Warm Bodies, uh, they are yes. capable of love. Yes. Uh, and also according to Tina Belcher's fanfics. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are very accurate to be trusted <laughs> um but so yeah there's like a lot of um uncomfortable uh things that happen in the book i do like the movie more because the age difference is better still like i don't know why they couldn't have just made her 17 like what's the harm in putting them at the same age i guess she had to like it had to be a future choice of hers to drink out of the fountain or not. He couldn't be standing there like, so are you going to do it? Yeah. <laughs> also, they know each other for the course of of a day. In the book, right? it's a day. In the movie, at least, it makes it seem she's like, I didn't know if I'd been there for days, weeks, or months. The whole summer was just flying by. And yeah. So, like, at least in the movie, they get to know each other a little. They have, like sexual chemistry in the movie and i think the movie is really not about being true to the story i think it's really just like i think it's a teen like a teen fantasy yeah i think i I think so i think it's written to be um a fantasy that teens can think about like oh you know it's so romantic they love each other and their love's eternal i think that's intriguing for teens to think about i think that's the same reason that twilight is popular yeah exactly that teens like to think about loving the same person eternally and being completely accepted and loved by that person for Mm -hmm. your whole life because i think that the reason these get so popular are teens get really stressed out about hey is everybody anybody ever gonna really love me or (laughs) are people just gonna like are things just going to be weird my whole life or is there Mm -hmm. a perfect being who can love me completely and i think that idea is pretty comforting to insecure teens everywhere so yeah but the thing that i think is interesting is that this book is so well regarded as like literature and then twilight is trash that only idiot teens read and it's like why why what's the distinction and here's the distinction misery why are stories about people being miserable uh worth more inherently because the collins are pretty okay with their lot the only Mm -hmm. there's only one character who absolutely objects to the idea of like living forever and even when they are unhappy about the fact that they have to live forever they make it through in their day-to-day without being completely miserable and Mm -hmm. the only member of the tuck family who has any optimism is jesse the other three are completely like overwhelmed with grief for themselves like they're just like well (sighs) my life sucks forever and it will for all eternity and there's no point even trying that's the whole attitude of the other three tucks but there is like an interesting thing about the tucks in that given the time period the tucks are poor okay Mm -hmm. so the tucks are poor and they're also all uneducated they make it a point that like um may and tuck can't read and miles and jesse never went to like formal school Mm -hmm. so they don't have a lot of opportunities to make money so they are mainly living in like really labor-intensive jobs and, like, doing hard work forever. Yeah. And then juxtapose that with the Cullens, who are extremely wealthy with seemingly no work. True, (laughs) yeah. Only one of the Cullens has a job as a doctor. (laughs) The rest of them have no income. They go to high school forever. They go to high school every four years. They go to a new high school. But they never... They never, like, want for money. They never have to work hard. They're just, like, chilling. Mm-hmm. So I think when you're telling a story about immortality, if you make the life about suffering, it's more, like, valuable. And then if you make your immortal character's life about, like, living the good life in your Volvo and traveling <laughs> the world, then you're uh, you're trash. Like, that's yeah. a trash novel. 
Well, Twilight's more about the drama of, you know, Bella and Edward and Jacob and like the 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 Italian vampires or whatever, and <laughs> versus like the question of immortality. But that is ever present in the in the novel because Bella's like, hell yeah, turn me into a vampire, give me that immortal life, and Edward's like, it's such a curse, Bella, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. In Tuck Everlasting, the love interest is like, please be eternal. And then the in Twilight, the love interest is like, please don't do this. Uh, like, I love you, but I can't make you make this choice. Yeah. So interesting. Two sides of the coin. I think Twilight is preferable to Tuck Everlasting. As I liked books. it more. Just as far as reading. Like, if I had to, if you were like, you have to read one of these books to win $50,000, pick one. I would pick Twilight. Mm, Same, honestly. Every single time. Every single time. Because, yeah, the same questions of immortality are brought up, but it's kind of more fun to read. <laughs> one but, day we're yes. going to talk, we're going to cover Twilight. We're, uh, we're, we'll get into, like, teen lit someday. Like, that'll be really fun. <laughs> yes, and uh, I will admit that I was a hardcore Twihard. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was in high school, I did very much love the Twilight series. Yeah. Books. Books. I did not. I never liked the movies. Um, because I, well, this is another personal thing. I always read books as funny. Like... I remember reading Twilight in my class one day and literally like laughing so hard that I was like laughing out loud at a book I was reading. And my teacher was like, is Twilight funny? And I was like, yeah, it's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) What? Like, like you thought like it was intentionally funny? Yes. Like I thought it was intentionally funny. Like I always thought that Belly was like sassy and sarcastic. Like I thought she was like, like a fun, like uh yeah, sassy yeah. sarcastic gal like making jokes like i thought she had a lot of humor about the situation that i'm pretty sure i put in there as the reader <laughs> well yeah well i think that's interesting like how much interpretation can go into it because i think uh with different direction i'm not gonna say different acting i think a lot of people like to shit on Kristen stewart's acting but i think that i think it was more the direction she was given of like to play it angsty uh, right. Same with Edward, and um, I think that made it like where she was sarcastic but angsty versus sarcastic but like funny, like a, like, you know, kind of like um, Anna Kendrick's character in that movie. Yeah, like, I was- mean, like the opening scene when she meets her new classmates, they're like, "Wow, you come from Arizona? You're super pale." And she's like, "Yeah, I'm half albino." <laughs> but they played in the movie like she's like weird about it, like. Yeah, I'm like, half albino. I'm half albino. That's not a joke. And they're like, <laughs> like there's just like zero humor. I think it's the issue of people who haven't been teens in a long time trying to direct teens to play angsty teens. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with that. It's it's not all angsty. There's there's a uh, laughs. There's chuckles and guffaws in high school. like Yeah, it's like, and usually when you're a miserable, angsty teen, you are so self-deprecating that you're at least a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to see Twilight with, like, the main character being um, just this uh, kind of a, because obviously she's, like, sort of an awkward, insecure person, but instead of, like, the angsty version of that, just, like, the self-deprecating humor version of that, where she's like, hey, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm weird that's how i read the book i was like i thought it was that i when i was reading the book i was like oh i relate to this girl because we both mm-hmm. are self-deprecating uh humor type chicks yeah but, I, I i think if if twilight were made today it would be more like that i think that kind of character is more compelling to kids these days that's my i'm not a kid i'm not a teen right now but i think that kind of character would be more compelling kind of like um Zendaya's character in Euphoria. I don't know if you've seen any of Euphoria, but I have not. Well, she that character's like very tragic in a lot of ways. Like, there's a and I haven't seen the whole show. I've literally seen like the first two episodes, but she's very um having a hard time. Uh, not dissimilar, well, different in a different way than than Bella was, but um, but also having a hard time. But she's like 
kind of a funny character in some ways too like Zendaya definitely has some like good humor moments in that show and so I picture that character as Bella if if you've seen the show well I have it but like Zendaya does like self-deprecating like dark humor so well that I think she also does that a lot in the Spider-Man movies and it's like yeah that's kind of how I always read Bella was self-deprecating humor dark humor just like sort of laughing at the situation like hey i'm dating a freaking vampire like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) like Like, isn't it stupid (laughs) like isn't it so weird that this is happening to me i was reading it from that perspective and i thought it was hilarious but i guess the people who were in charge of directing it didn't have quite the same interpretation that i did i wanted like a dark rainy vibe to it and have all like the moods match Mm. they were super into the sad part of it i thought it was like a fun light-hearted story about being in love with a vampire (laughs) (laughs) man they should one day if they ever remake twilight they need to do that for sure I hope that they, I hope that somewhere there was like someone like me who grew up to be a director who was like, man, I really wish they'd redo Twilight, but get it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I also feel like Stephanie Meyer 100% would not be on board with this version, but. Yeah, um, well, everything in that story, that, that story that is like um, unique to Stephanie Meyer's like writing style and personal values is not so great like she really injects a lot of uh, purity culture into it um and i think there was a little a little less of that in the movies but it was still present and so like the whole thing where the 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 whole way that they treated sex in that movie um was a direct result of stephanie meyer's own viewpoints on uh purity culture and whatnot uh speaking of purity culture i will say that the movie of tuck everlasting doesn't have that same purity culture vibe even though it takes place in a way more chaste period of 1880 i mean obviously like jesse and winnie have like a pretty hot romance for a 15 and 17 year old like they they are really into each other physically. No, mm-hmm. not like that, but <laughs> they are. <laughs> There's not a sex scene in Tuck Everlasting. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the thing that you're talking about in the book where she like sees him and you're like, huh, he's hot. Um, yeah, that's her first thought, her first reaction, because he's like a country woodsman who's drinking out of a fountain and like in a, like a white blouse. So she's like, yeah. Wow, we uh, wow, we uh, that's you know, her <laughs> first reaction. So, in the movie, it does play like that, and it's a lot more normal because they are closer in age. So, at least yeah. the actors, like, I know that he's playing a 104 year old, but that's a 17 year old actor playing a 17 year old. So, it's the romance, in, the romance in the movie plays a lot better because you know. These actors are the same age, so it's not super weird. Yeah. Um, and what a relief. Imagine yeah. how horrible that movie would have gone over. We would have gone over like a lead balloon. Um, not, yeah, that, I, not that there aren't movies out there where it's like love stories with like big age differences. But I think especially with that kind of age difference, I think it would have been. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, a 10 and a 17 year old would have felt horrific to watch on criminal yeah (laughs) it would have it would have been genuinely criminal and it would have been so uncomfortable for people to watch Mm -hmm. and i guess here is a good time to talk about grooming so trigger warning if this is uh uncomfortable for you to listen to but uh if you skip ahead a little we should be done with this yeah but the thing that jesse tuck is doing is grooming a child um he tries to appear attractive to her he is going out of his way to build her attraction to him and groom her into being his essential like child bride child bride and eternal sex slave ish type person because that's he implies that a lot he says things like we would be together forever and have so much fun together. We'd do everything together. He sees things like that that are 
Like a 10-year-old does not know what that means. Right. A 10-year-old isn't going to understand the implications of being with someone for all eternity and doing everything with them. You're not Mm -hmm. old enough to understand that. Um, And trying to entice a 10-year-old to be your romantic partner, even if you're asking them to wait until they're older, is still pedophile behavior and criminal and gross. So Woody Allen shit. Yeah. Uh, Situations where men date people that are technically legal at the time that they start dating, but they met them when they were much younger, and, like, there is an age difference there. So, like, someone – I forget. There's some celebrity where this – I think Leonardo DiCaprio started dating a girl that is, like, early 20s, maybe even 19, that, like, he knew when she was a lot younger. Uh, That shit's Mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. No, that shit is horrible. And this is something that happens frequently, especially with high school-age girls. This Mm -hmm. is – Something that I get on a soapbox about frequently because I think it is, uh, it's such a disservice to teens that we don't talk more about predatory behavior and grooming Mm -hmm. because if someone is much older than you and they are trying to impress you, trying to seem attractive to you, trying to build an attraction for them, like, they are praying Run. they are praying on you mm-hmm. it's not cute even if they are attractive physically they are a criminal who is trying to take advantage of you and um a red and- flag is if they say something along the lines of like you know you're very mature for your age and i think we need to tell that to young girls a lot more to look out for things like older people saying to them you're very mature for your age if for multiple reasons even outside of like grooming I, I don't think that's a thing that we should say to kids very much for and that's a whole other conversation but like but in terms of like dating prospect and I, I feel like this happens a lot um and I feel like we saw this happen a lot when you and I worked at a certain um restaurant chain where you yes. have uh uh teenagers working in the same place as um adults and sometimes they because then they then feel like peers um and then romantic relationships come out of that uh yeah uh that's you're mature for your age is a red flag that someone is trying to manipulate you mm-hmm. um or you're not like other girls your age mm-hmm. that's that's textbook manipulation um any sort of trying to build a very close I don't be close friends with teens if you're an adult I just yeah, that's I just think so don't like, muddy the lines don't muddy the lines um if if as an adult you sense that a teen that you come in contact with has some sort of attachment to you it's your responsibility to distance yourself don't put yourself in a position where you are ever wherever there is like not a clear distinction that it's either coach uh mentor player player mentor boss make sure that you're putting clear boundaries because that's your responsibility as the adult and if you are the teen in this scenario this person is singling you out to prey on you not because they like you but because they are a predator i'm sure you're amazing you're a great person and you will find someone who is your own age and loves you for who you are and uh it'll be great but do not fall for this shit when an older man or woman says something like you're mature for your age uh when they're texting you frequently when they're trying to isolate you uh that's all predatory behavior and it happens a lot Mm -hmm. and i hate to say it but a lot of times people aren't going to look out for you so you have to say, no, tell an authority, like, do not fall for this shit because it happens so much. I And I know that it happens more now because of things like Instagram and Twitter and like Snapchat, all of these things. I know that there are a lot of teens who get messages from adults, you know, wow, you look really nice, like private messages if if it's something they can't say to your face in front of your friends, it's inappropriate. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if they yeah. wouldn't say if they wouldn't say it to you with your mom or dad standing beside of you, then it's inappropriate. 
Yeah. Um, also, something my mom told me a lot when I was like really little was like, if anyone ever tells you something, like don't tell your mom. Come tell me. Like she would always <laughs> say that to me. Yeah. If an that's adult, an adult tells you not to tell me something, tell me immediately. <laughs> yeah. Tell your tell someone that you trust immediately. And this is the other thing. Like my mom always told me that if someone is in a a lot older than you and they're talking to you it's because no one their age will fall for their bullshit and yeah. that is true so um, true it's, like 20 people in their 20s who who try to date high schoolers are not like the best people they're not good people they're not like people that pe- people their own age want to hang out with or date and so like yes. what does that tell you <laughs> Yes, and sometimes people who are adults with wives and families will try to interact with children in an inappropriate way because they crave power over you, not because it's attraction, not that because it's an attraction to you, it's an attraction to power. They like to be in a power position. They like to take advantage of you. So, um yeah, don't don't do it. If you're an adult who does it, please report yourself to the police and then jump off. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Um, like, um, yeah, we're, we're giving a lot of advice to like teens right now, and like I, I, it's not like I, I want to acknowledge that like it shouldn't have to be on teens to like look out for predators. People just should like not be predators. Uh, but the, yes. sometimes tips are nice in terms of like just kind of staying vigilant especially if you're in a situation like uh having to work as a teen and you're around a lot of adults um that or you're a a student athlete who has to be around coaching staff who that's why I'm going over this so heavily is because as a teen I had a very uh an experience close to me it wasn't my personal experience but I I did have a coach who was a predator so Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what was going on because I was a very naive kid I didn't mm-hmm. know what was happening so I'm just giving you tips that I wish I'd known so that you yeah. can spot it when it's <laughs> happening to you or someone that you love yeah no I think you and I were given different examples based on like different <laughs> uh, things that we've witnessed with other people um so th- there's a lot of different ways it can happen uh but in whatever situation um just just uh be vigilant and uh but also it's unfortunate that we're having to like say be vigilant (laughs) yes i hate that we have to say because it's not teen's fault it's not your fault as a teen that people are predators in there's a lot of reasons why a 16 year old would like want to be with someone in their 20s or 30s or beyond that like why they would like have a crush on someone older but there is no reason why someone older would should want to or ever should pursue someone that young. Yes. So if you are doing that, again, I say to you, or if you're not even intentionally doing that, if you are creating a close relationship with someone who is a minor, or even like 18, I don't count 18 as being an adult. (laughs) So if you have an inappropriate relationship with anyone who has a one in front of their, uh, their age, um, don't, don't do it. Um, it's your responsibility. It. Uh, good. So, like, I when I got to, I think I was, like, maybe 21 or so where I had the realization. I was, like, if I, like, I would not want to date someone in high school even if they were 18. Like, that's weird and gross. I wouldn't. I'm, I'm nearly 30 now. And the thought of dating someone who was even, like, 24 is, like, no, thank you. <laughs> um yeah I, just like hard uh, they're not in the same like life stage as you i think right. like the older you get the less the the older both parties in the relationship get the less age matters but that being said like i, I think there is something to be said for like just being in the same life stage as, as like so like you know if a if a 28 year old dates a 22 year old or something i don't know if that's like the perfect example but like it's it would be weird if like the 28 year old is like a working adult and like the 22 year olds like in college or something but if they're both like working adults in the same place that's a little less like it and you know not that like it's illegal i don't know what i'm getting at except that like <laughs> i feel i feel like it, just maturity levels and stuff like if you want someone who's less mature than you that's that's something you need to like talk over with a therapist 
Yes. Um, when I was a freshman in college, uh, one of my like floor mates was dating a guy who was, we were 18 at the time. He was 28. And um, he would just, he was a working adult who would come and visit our dorm on the weekends. First of all, that's so, so embarrassing. Like I cringe so hard at that now, but he would do things like buy pizza for her and all of her friends to like impress her friends with him. And it was all just about control. He wanted the control in the relationship. And that was eventually she got out of the relationship because she realized that at 18, it was blatant enough that she realized at 18, it was a a manipulation. So uh, that guy's a fool. But um, <laughs> just can you imagine like going to pick up, uh, like you or, or like you know going even like deeper into the age differences, like being in your twenties and like going to pick up your your date from high school. Also, unrelated, but do, do you remember Scott Pilgrim versus the World? I've never seen it. Oh my god, I I love that movie. The first time I saw it when I was like younger, because it really is a relic of like two thousand and nine, but. That Scott Pilgrim, a twenty-something-year-old guy, is like does date a high schooler in it. It is like a very blatant thing, and like his friends make fun of him for it. And I think in the end, you know, sorry for spoilers, like he comes to the realization that he shouldn't have been like fooling around with this girl. And I don't think they ever like um, have sex or anything. But like it's, I was like, I watched it recently last year and was like what <laughs> i was like i forgot uh th- this child is a child that that's an example of like media that kind of like may- low-key normalizes it a bit even if it's like because i feel like a teenager watching that might kind of miss the part where the end kind of comes to the conclusion that he was wrong to do that like that that, right. that was subtext <laughs> Um, also Pineapple Express, uh, he is a 25 year old male who goes back to his girlfriend's high school and they make out at her high school. And she's in high school? She's an 18 year old who is in high school. Yes. But she is in high school and it's not expressly illegal, but it is weird and gross. Uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, uh. He also has the same realization where he's like, you're too young, you're too immature. And she's like, well, fuck you anyway. But like, it, right. it is weird. It's like, again, we're normalizing it. There's there's countless examples. If a movie like that is intended to show, if like the with Pineapple Express and Scott Pilgrim versus the world, if the point of it is to show that these guys were being like shitty for dating younger girls, then the audience needs to not be young people because they're not going to pick up on that subtext and they're not going to like, they're going to be like, Oh, cute. Michael, Sarah, like I want to date him. Like that's going to be the conclusion they come to with it. Not to say that teenagers aren't capable of like deeper thought, but um, you can't expect them to be, their brains aren't fully developed. Right. And I don't know, I guess maybe just I was a very sheltered teen, so I, I wouldn't have gotten that message. I would have been like, "Wow, Michael Sarah's cool." Like, yeah, yeah. I I don't want to claim by that that I I was a a youngster that thought that Michael Sarah was cute. No, uh, he looks like a sloth. I mean, I, I like Michael Sarah. I don't want to. Don't get yeah, me he's, wrong. He's not my particular flavor of dude. Um, uh. <laughs> uh. He's a funny guy, but there there was definitely like a girls in that time period that thought he was the hottest thing. Yeah, again, uh, to us former Juno heads, uh, he was, yeah, he was the guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I I mentioned former Juno heads because Sarah and I had a conversation the other night that there was a point in the late two thousands where loving Juno was a personality trait, and I very much fell into that category. Again, self-deprecating. I love a good self-deprecating team. Oh, Juno would have been the best Bella Swan. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of I kind of like always read Bella as Juno. <laughs> Elliot Page. That's why it was funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Elliot Page would have made a better uh Bella than than uh than Kristen St- well no okay i take that back i still i stand it's by Kristen, Kristen Stewart. stewart's fault because she can do humor we have seen in her more recent work that Kristen stewart is absolutely capable of doing humor it's she just got the range they, 
they did not allow her to do it. I mm-hmm. love I love Kristen Stewart in Happiest Season. I know that Happiest Season has a lot of problems. She was my but, favorite part of the movie, honestly. But I will say that I loved... Well, I'm sorry, did you not see Dan Levy in that movie? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, him too. Him too. Uh, uh, yeah, Basically Dan everyone Le- but the, the, one, the one girl. She frustrated me. <laughs> yeah, everybody but Harper was great in that movie. But Kristen Stewart in that movie does awkward but funny in such a good way that I was like, they're finally letting her do parts that she's good at they're letting her be who she is also i think that it's something to say about she's finally being like her authentic self on camera like yeah instead of having to play it straight like there's something to be said about uh, yeah literally there's something to be said about like being more true to yourself on camera so this became a like half a twilight episode but uh. half a twilight half a a, us just talking (laughs) about about about, why grooming is bad about grooming yeah this uh if you if i told you to skip ahead for grooming i'm sorry that it's taken so long and we're still talking about this but it is yeah we should have just said like like, end the episode now uh yeah so i i don't know grooming just weighs heavily on me i think it's such a cultural problem that we don't address nearly enough as it has a lot to do with the way um the way teen girls are sometimes sexualized often sexualized often sexualized and how media directed at teen girls normalizes being sexualized by older men like tuck everlasting yes and how uh girls are expected to like there's always this thing that people say like girls mature faster than boys they They don't don't. they they don't don't. they don't (laughs) society expects them to because society puts girls in mature roles and expects girls to act mature from a younger age than boys like there's a lot more expectations put on teen girls a lot of the time than teen boys in a general sense Yes. And that and that leads to a lot of teen girls feeling alienated amongst their their peers, especially their male peers, and not finding uh, a lot of connection and like people to date their own age, and like and then feeling like, well, because I don't have any boys my own age to date, I gotta date up, and that's eh. like it's okay to you know not date till you're a little older if the only other alternative is uh, dating the creepy. 27 year old at at your uh mcdonald's job yes or your other chain job uh this is it really it really is ramp it's really rampant in like restaurant industry i feel like because that is a place where a lot of teens are employed along with a lot of managerial positions that are filled by uh early 20s to like even older Mm -hmm. um males and females who like to be predatory i don't want to just say males because i do know it happened personally of a a man who was victimized by an older woman at us at at one such chain restaurant job so it um, happens yeah it's happened it's it's a scary world out there for you teens and i feel for you but the best option is if you can't find anyone your own age to date stay single it's good to be single when you're a teen I was, yeah, live your life. Um, I was a very single teen, and I loved it. Yeah, uh, same. You know, time for let me be my internal reflection and growth. Yes, I was such a horrible wreck of a person then that I wouldn't have been a good partner for anyone. So it's a good thing that I stayed same. single. Same. I was. Uh, uh, I don't know that I was <laughs> my best self. I was very insecure, awkward, and self-deprecating. So that's right the time when people treat you horribly in relationships if you start dating at that point. So yeah. um, uh, stay single. Don't do de- so If we have any team listeners. We have at least two uh, under 18 listeners. Yeah. On our, really? our last like listener count, we have at least two because it's more than 1%. So we have a couple teens who listen to our show and we want to say to you, you're awesome listen to your gut you're awesome you trust your gut anybody who is uh an adult trying to make a play for you is the worst they're a criminal you're good don't do it yeah date someone your own age and some actual emotionally ready right yeah (laughs) actual practical advice if you're in one such situation uh and you know you, you want someone it, it's specifically in the, the the restaurant industry situation and you feel that there's a situation that, that like you're worried about uh find like maybe an older woman working with you and go to them and be like he's really creeping me out or yes. you know what have you and and the the they will 
I would hope have your back. A lot of times in these type of scenarios, people have like, I think especially I am going to gender this and say that older women are really good at spotting a a predator Um, just from their experience as a woman or presenting as female on this earth. They have a lot of experience with predators. Mm -hmm. So um, your older female colleagues probably already have some inclination that something is a little off but they don't have evidence. So if you go to them with evidence, they're probably going to help you. Help you out. Oh. Even if not in an official way, like even if there's no one really to go to, to like, like they will, I would imagine, I would hope, have try to have your back in like whatever way that they can. Right. Yeah. Because usually there's suspicion when stuff like this is happening. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, and <laughs> now if that you are- you as a lecture. <laughs> if you are an adult female, uh, be a good ally for your- young teen friends who are being subjected to this kind of predatory behavior yeah and if you're an older guy uh don't be creepy yeah or an older woman nobody be creepy yeah that's true yeah it's not exclusively gendered this way um (laughs) Uh, that we had some brief generalizations there but also just nobody be creepy and be an ally people of all genders uh Respect boundaries with teens. <laughs> well, respect always respect boundaries in yeah. general. In uh, general, always. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, especially with teens, because their sense of what they can um, say no to and what you know, all that kind of stuff, they they are more vulnerable. I guess is what I'm getting at. Yes. So be nice. Just, li- just life experience. Uh, but anyway. Anyway, uh, Tech Everlasting, the movie's better than the book. That's the one the one takeaway that I want you to stick with. And also, uh, the question of immortality is really interesting, but let's expand, let's expand our cultural uh, zeitgeist and what we read in schools. Someone uh, write a book. To, to include more diverse voices and also... Just do just do it differently. Write us a book on immortality that's not Tuck Everlasting or Twilight. We will read it. Yeah. Uh, or if you have a recommendation for that, like yes, teen, absolutely. YA lit, send it to us. We'll I'll read it. Yeah, I I love uh, teen YA lit. So if you know a good example that uh, talks about immortality, but in a way that isn't vampires and isn't Winnie Foster, hit us up. We want to hear it. Yeah, please do. Sarah, do you want to live forever? <laughs> no. No, I'm good. Um, that seems a little exhausting. And Anyway, uh, that's been this. <laughs> uh, good riddance, except for predators. <laughs> good, good riddance, yeah. A genuine good riddance to everyone, except for uh, gross people. Bye. <laughs>